People understand that when you're homeless, you need a roof over your head, but without the items in that in that house under that roof to help sustain life, it doesn't work. You know, someone is not going to make feel like that is home if they're having to sit on the floor and eat on the floor and sleep on the floor. It's about having a that is comfortable, that is something we like to come home to, is something that we want to work hard to sustain. Um, it makes a difference in people's lives. Hey everyone, I'm Katherine Lawson and this is the Longleaf Pod, where I talk to people who are adding value to communities across North Carolina. In this episode, I'm talking with Jackie Craig, the co-founder and executive director of the nonprofit The Green Chair Project. In this episode, we talk about how they work with people to turn houses into homes, how the nonprofit model expanded to meet new community needs, and how years of seemingly disparate experiences came together. Enjoy the show. All right, Jackie, thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, thank you, Kat. I'm so honored that that you care so much about hearing our story. Yeah, well, it's a really great story to tell. Um, I'm looking forward to learning more about Green Share Project and what you all do and how it is that you ended up in this space. So tell me first, what is the Green Share Project? Sure. Well, the Green Share Project is a nonprofit that I was a co-founder of um, around nine years ago. We literally started in a church closet, collecting all of the extra household items that we all have in our cupboards and in our attics, collecting those items to try to match them up with the needs in the community, primarily for people who are starting over, starting over after incarceration, recovery from addiction, homelessness, refugees coming to our community, um, women fleeing domestic violence. For whatever reason, people were starting over and living in poverty. And it's all they can do to be able to afford a a home or a roof over their head, yet alone to have furnishings that they need to live sustainably. But yet, match that up with all of the wealth that our community has, uh, just sitting in our cupboards alone. And uh, how could we be Mm. that conduit and match up all those extra things to do good in the community? And that's how the Green Share Project was born. So how do you identify families that you work with to help furnish their new homes after they're starting over? Sure. Well, how we find the families that we serve is by partnering with local agencies. Um, Over 89 local agencies are out there doing the really important work of the hands-on case management of helping people um, through those transitions to sustainable living. So again, whether it's a child that's aging out of foster care and the day they turn 18, they become an adult, there are agencies out there that work with those kids and help them find housing, help them find jobs, help them become educated and be able to live on their own independently. And that's a prime example where the agency would then know about the green share because we're partners and they would in mm. turn bring that that child, that young adult to the green chair for this once in a lifetime opportunity to furnish their entire home all at one time. Mm. And that's not just with furniture. It's with everything from pots and pans and dishes and towels, all of the things that we all use every day that make life not only comfortable, but make it sustainable. Mm. So walk me through the process of a family, you know, comes through the doors of green chair what what happens next? What does the process look like for them as they are you know, going through all those furnishings and appliances and all that? Sure. Um, well, we have a, a actually a f- beautiful furniture showroom um, set up in our in our building on Capitol Boulevard in downtown Raleigh. And the families that we serve come to us by appointment, and they are accompanied by their case manager from the agency that they're working with. And they have um, an hour time slot and have a completely private shopping experience 
where they they're able to um, peruse this beautiful showroom and be able they're able to choose everything that they need to make up that household all at one time. Based on their family size um, and their house size, they're able to pick a package, so kind of a small, medium, or large package, mm. and they pay a small fee. For example, um, a, a single person might pay $100, a large family might pay $300, and that is nowhere near the real cost of the items. It is simply mm -hmm. a buy-in fee that provides them with the dignity of saying, I purchased this for my family, and provides them with the ability to choose um, the things that they like that are included in that package. So they have a little checklist that they go through and are able to choose their couch and able to choose their kitchen table and chairs and towels and linens and lamps. And by the end of the experience, they're matching artwork to match the pillows on their couch, to match a rug. Mm -hmm. So where does the rest of the, the balance of the funding come for those families? So the fees that the families pay to us for their shopping experience um, come nowhere near to those that we need to pay the rent and to pay the staff and to help manage the project. But we apply for uh, many grants. We have lots of community support from churches, from foundations, from individuals, from corporations that all care very much about the essential service that we're providing for this community. So that client's fee is multiplied by the support that we receive from the community. Mm. And when they're going through and picking out all of these different things, where so where do you source all of those furnishings? Right. So everything that we have under our roof is donated to us. Um, we receive that from community members like you and like me, that when we get a new set of dishes, we donate the old set to the green chair. When we get a new couch, we donate the old couch to the green chair. Um, and so everything that we have has been gently used. We have pretty high standards. We ask for things that are not torn or ripped or stained, um, but that are in still very usable condition. And so everything um, in, a, in each household is made up of items that are reused by the community. In addition to community members donating their household items, we also have stores that often might donate their closeouts or their sale merchandise to us to, um, mm -hmm. to help um, stock the households as well. If I, rem if I remember correctly, so you, have, you have all of the, the donated goods and stuff, but for some of the, the soft goods like towels or sheets and stuff, do you have those that are donated kind of new products? Occasionally we do, but many are gently used. Um, occasionally we, we, we do run out and uh, we do use funds to occasionally have to buy things. But for the most part, um, all of the items that we use are, are donated from the community. That's so wonderful. And so how many families have you all worked with so far? Well, since we started the Green Chair um, about nine years ago, we have furnished over 3,000 households. Um, mm -hmm. But in terms of what do we do on a daily basis right now, we help about 15 to 20 families per week. And those are families, again, that are all starting over um, right here in Wake County, who without us would otherwise have empty homes. And along with the, the core project that you all work on, you have a couple of unique, I think, initiatives that you, that you take part in. So tell me about the Sweeter Dreams Bed Program. Sure. Well, since we started the Green Chair, how we all we always had um, gently used household items that we were providing to the families that we serve, and we never could provide used beds or mattresses to mm. the families. There's health regulations about that. So um, it wasn't until about 2015 that I had a school social worker um, approach me and ask if we had beds for kids, and I explained to her that we didn't. 
And she said, well, you know, you know, it's just an epidemic. Um, how many kids need beds? And I'm like, where are mm. you talking about? And she said, oh, I'm a social worker right here at Wiley Elementary, which is an elementary school right here inside the Beltline. And I'm like, I, I was astonished and uh, couldn't get that need out of my head and uh, decided, well, we're, we're going we're gonna to raise a little money and we're going to buy a few beds and we're going to try to satisfy those needs. So we had to buy brand new beds, which are expensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ga- gave her some beds and I, you know, hopefully this helps and she needed more and hopefully raised a little more money and hopefully this helps and she needed more. And we found we couldn't satiate the need and other schools started hearing about us. And all of a sudden we, we saw that this was a countywide issue that no one else was addressing. Mm. So we continued to raise money through grants and were able to provide several hundred beds then for kids. And I turned that data over to the NC State College of Management program of data analytics Mm -hmm. and had them analyze that data for us. And I said, well, so if all these kids need beds, then how many other kids need beds? Because Mm -hmm. no one else could give us an answer on that. No one in Wake County Schools could tell us how many kids need beds, of course, because no one was asking because there was no solution. And so those uh, students came back to us and said that they estimated the need to be between five and 10,000 kids in Wake County needed beds. Hmm. We knew right then that that was something that we were going to have to continue to pursue in a big way and make a part of our program. So since then, um, we have given out about 2,500 beds to kids. And uh, we continue to raise money and try to grow that program and try to meet the need. Um, it, it, it is it is very expensive, but um, we see it as being such a critical piece for the children in our community to be able to um, have the advantage of a good night's sleep. There are so many studies that show, you know, the obvious the obvious health benefits, mm-hmm. but also um, kind of the intangible benefits of that child having a safe space of their own that help you know keep that child away from the chaos of the household that help them to rest well, which reduces their stress and all the while, you know, builds that childhood resilience. Um, That is so important to help kids um, be able to get up and go to school and study and thrive and grow and learn. So as you've as you've expanded that initiative, how have you continued to identify the children who, who need who need beds in our community? Sure. Well, not only do all the families who come through our furnishings program um, with their with their case managers from local agencies receive beds, but we also partner with the Wake County School social workers and teachers and principals, all of whom best know those children um, in their own schools and are able to identify um, which families um, are in need and they go to visit their homes to verify that need. Um, And oftentimes they see, oh, it's not just this one student that we're here for. We see that the whole, um, Mm. all the siblings need beds. And so um, we also do kind of a mass distribution four times throughout the school year um, to kids whose families maybe wouldn't be shopping through through our furnishing program. But um, we do that as part of our Sweeter Dreams outreach program. Mm. So we just, just two Saturdays ago delivered about 100 beds. Um, all over Wake County yeah. to kids. And um, and so many of them were children who were getting a bed for the first time in their lives. Mm. And I mean, there were even middle schoolers and high schoolers. And uh, like I said, it's more than, it's so much more than just a bed. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a huge, you know, it's a huge um, gift. And, and it's really just shouldn't be a gift. It's a basic human need that we all have for, for a good night's sleep. Mm. And so um, that's just something we're we're striving to, you know, to increase and, and, and hopefully eradicate yeah. that in our community. Mm. 
the majority of your all's work is within Wake County, right? Correct. Um, we partner with agencies that are located in Wake County. They may have clients that perhaps live outside of Wake County, particularly now with the lack of affordable housing in our area. People are moving farther and farther right. out. Um, and and that has been our focus um, since we started the program, just because there's so much need here in Wake County. We wanted to get this right um, and satiate the need here before thinking about moving beyond the borders of Wake County. But we get asked frequently, um, could we start one, a green chair in other parts of the country? Mm -hmm. There really isn't anything like what we do. There are things called furniture banks um, that are in most major cities, but there is nothing similar to the green chair project that provides that kind of the dignity of having choice and having a shopping experience. Mm -hmm. But we, we have, um, our board has been um, very focused on helping us um, develop a strong program here, and we will look at replication in the future. But in the meantime, Hurricane Florence hit this past fall and right here in our state. And as soon as um, the hurricane hit, within the next week, um, I received a call from the governor's office and they asked, can you please help us furnish the 7,000 plus homes that have just gotten mm. destroyed? Because no one does what you do. And they recognize that, um, you know, not only being able to rebuild mm -hmm. a home or repair a roof, but to be able to replace, at the very least, the mm -hmm. possessions um, that were also ruined by the storm is, is something that's very important and isn't always covered um, completely by insurance or FEMA or, you know, most of the families that were hit we saw were in some of our state's most impoverished areas. And uh, most of us would be hard pressed to have several thousand dollars in our back pocket to be able to replace all of right. our possessions. So knowing all of this and knowing that what we do also helps um, in disaster or crisis situations, we couldn't say no. So we started to figure out how we can best serve Eastern North Carolina um, Florence um, survivors out, um, right here from our location in Raleigh. So we developed a plan and were able to gather furnishing donations from many manufacturers and corporations that actually approached us and said, we want to give furniture mm. to help Florence victims. For example, Rooms to Go, which is mm -hmm. a large national retailer, called me and they said, we got out a map and we looked at where Hurricane Florence hit and we saw that you were the closest furnishings program um, to that, to that, mm. those counties. Um, and we would, we would like to send you truckloads of furniture to be able to distribute. Wow. So, um, that's pretty hard yeah. to say no to. And so, um, we have received, um, several donations from them that we are using to furnish, um, the homes of the folks that we've helped, um, in Eastern North Carolina, mostly all with brand new furnishings. We've also received furnishings of uh, truckloads and truckloads from the High Point Furnishing mm. Market. And um, other national manufacturers that have heard about us and wanted to, again, that is a way that they could contribute. And so we have set up a hurricane relief center and we have served um, over 85 households since Christmas. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we don't expect that need to end anytime soon. In fact, it has actually accelerated in the really? past few weeks as more and more people are are, are getting those repairs mm -hmm. finished and being able to move back into their homes. Um, they see that, that being able to replace furnishings is simply, you know, not, not an option, um, for them without the green share project. 
So we partner with agencies like Catholic Charities or Lutheran Disaster Services and FEMA and the Red Cross, who are the boots on the ground in those counties. And they're the ones that are actually helping those families through this crisis, helping them to rebuild, helping them to get the FEMA aid that they need, helping them to get connected to local resources. And in turn, they, um, they make that uh, referral um, for that family um, for, to GreenShare. And then we work with that family actually over mm. the phone and have, um, have conversations and interviews with them to find out what's the size of their family, what's the size of their home, what are their color preferences, what kind of furniture do they like, what, are, what do they have, what do they, what do they need. And then we curate a whole home of all new furnishings and we ship it down and set it up in their house. And uh, by the time we leave, they have a fully equipped home with dishes, towels, mm-hmm. new beds, new, new couches, everything that they need. Um, and, it, and it really is, it makes a huge impact on those families. They have been through so much. Many of them have been living in hotels mm-hmm. for the past six months um, or essentially been homeless and living with different family members or, um, you know, just finding shelter wherever they could. And, uh, and so to all of a sudden have a home again, um, that, that's, that's really, um, you know, helps mark the end of, of that crisis that they have been mm. through. Did you anticipate when you started Green Chair that that would, that disaster recovery would be a space that you would grow into? Not really. Actually, it was back in, um, gosh, a couple years after we started the Green Chair. Um, I think it was in 2012 that um, some tornadoes had come through downtown mm. Raleigh. And uh, the, the day after they, they, we had just started Green Chair. And the day after that they, they came through, I got a, a call, a lot like that call from the governor's office. It was from the head of the Salvation Army. And they said, we heard about this little project that you and your co-founder, Beth, have been doing. And, uh, and we'd like you to come help furnish all of the, the hundreds of homes that have just been destroyed from the tornado. And I'm like, oh, no, thank you. I'm sorry. We don't know anything about, you know, mm-hmm. helping with disaster. We've just been helping people out of homelessness, which is how we started. Mm-hmm. That's where we thought the basic need would be. And they said, oh, no, we think you're perfectly qualified. And uh, next thing we know, um, they, have, um, you know, they have moved in with us. Actually, they ran out of room in their building, moved in with us, and we became the collection donation center for all of Wake County, mm-hmm. working with Salvation Army to receive all of the donations that, that, that community, other communities were sending in to help with the tornado relief. And so that's when we saw, as that recovery took place over the next year, year and a half, um, as families got back into their homes, that what we do is actually, you know, so well suited for people in recovery from the trauma of, of a disaster as well. Mm-hmm. Because it seems that, you know, these natural disasters kind of disproportionately affect the poor. Mm-hmm. And so those, those are the folks that not only, you know, not only have to endure the crisis of, of, the, of, the, of the, the trauma of the disaster, but then also um, the economic trauma of, you know, of not having the resources to be able to climb out of it. You know, that's such a, in some ways, it's a very natural extension, but I, I understand that it came kind of as a, a sideways opportunity, basically, for, for you all to help serve in a different way. That's right. Well, I was just curious separately, and if you had a different thought, I would love to hear that first, but why, why Green Chair? The, what's the, the kind of the origin of that name? Sure. Um, well, when we started this, we obviously had to come up with a name. 
and we knew it would be about reuse or recycled or repurposed. So that's why we could take furniture that might otherwise be thrown away and put to, and instead we'll put it to good use. So there's the green. Mm. It was green. It was, um, you know, good for the environment um, that we could save things from the landfill. Um, chair, because we knew it would be about furniture. Everyone deserves at least a chair, and we all could spare a chair <laughs> um, to be able to help our neighbors in need. And then project, because we knew we weren't going to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't we weren't the ones producing the furniture, um, nor were we the ones identifying the clients, um, nor were we the you know able to be all of the hands that were needed to help make this happen. So the green chair really is a community wide project. Even today, about 40% of our work is done by volunteers. Mm-hmm. And those are, and those are um, volunteers that some come on a regular basis. They might be retired and come two, three days a week. High schoolers come after school and volunteer. And even about a fourth of our volunteers are actually people with special needs um, and developmental disabilities like autism or Down syndrome that come with a caregiver and actually are able to come on a regular basis and do, do um you know, repetitive jobs um, for us and, and learn, actually learn job skills for themselves. Mm. So it really is the whole community that comes together to donate the items, to curate the items, to fix or repair or clean the items. Um, and so it's really like our whole community is cheering on those folks who are starting over in life, mm. giving them a second chance, giving them the opportunity to begin again, which is something we all deserve. Mm. I love that. I'd like to pivot a little bit and 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 talk about how how you ended up you know co-founding this this organization and some of your backgrounds. Um, so you are originally from Indiana. You are one of the many and growing population of of transplants in North Carolina. <laughs> well, actually, yes. Um, well, I'm actually grew up in California. Okay. Ended up in college in Indiana. Uh, met my husband. He um, got his PhD in economics. At, in, in, at Indiana University. And when he got out of graduate school, um, NC State um, was his first job opportunity. So mm. I transferred with the company that I was working with and we moved here to Raleigh. And that was back in 1989. So mm. we've really lived here longer than we've lived anywhere else. So this mm-hmm. has become home and our two children were born here. So again, it just, um, it feels like home Yeah, and, and, all, and always will be. So, um, so today, those, those uh, two children are, are 25 and 26. I have two daughters. And it was as my oldest daughter was getting ready to go to college that this idea kind of came about. I had, been, um, I had retired from corporate life. I was in sales for a company called Har- the John Harlan Company, mm-hmm. um, working in the banking industry, and decided to stay home with my girls when they were um, three and four years old. And I stayed home with them through the school years and was the consummate volunteer and the head of the PTA and the room parent and the drove on the field trips and all the things. And I knew when my oldest daughter was getting ready to go to college that uh, that, that part of my, my career was soon to be coming to an end. So I wondered what, what it is I might uh, like to do next. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine, Beth, uh, was a realtor. And she said, you know, why don't you come and stage houses for me? You're really good at design. It's always been a passion of mine. Um, I was the friend you called when you wanted to rearrange your house. You know, um, I could I could help you. And so I became certified and became a stager. And we, and we thought, OK, this is this is what we're going to do. We're going to work together here. And this is my new career. Well, it lasted all about a, of about two months, um, because what what we found immediately is the first thing you tell people when you go in to stage their houses, um, you have too much stuff. 
<laughs> you need to clean out. And they would look at me and say, well, what, what do we do with this stuff? And I said, well, you donate it. And they're like, well, where do you donate it to? I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's so many places to donate to. There's so many people that need this in the community. I had also been a volunteer for many years with women who were incarcerated. And as every time I watched them get out of prison and start over again, it was just a fire drill to round up everything that they needed. So I knew there was that need. I had also worked with families through our church that were homeless. And obviously they needed a lot of things or refugee families or families affected by fires that you heard about at your kid's school. So mm. there all these needs that I knew about, but I saw that maybe not everybody did. So mm. I just said to these folks um, who were selling their house, well, just let me take your things. And I'll, I'll, I know people that need them. And it wasn't just one time, but it happened over and over again. And so um, I can't talk about the story without also, you know, having to mention that, that God was just whispering in my ear very strongly that I needed to do something about this. And I mm -hmm. really wasn't sure what that was or what that looked like, but pretty sure that there, there was a bigger plan here. And so we just started collecting a lamp or a toaster and those extra things and asked the church, could we just borrow a closet? thinking that's all it would ever be. Hmm. And uh, it just began to explode, both from um, the aspect of those of us that had stuff that wanted to put it to good use, and then for the those in the community that needed the things. So once people heard what we were doing, it just um, grew you know, rapidly. And uh, we outgrew the closet, and we borrowed a Sunday school room. And then we realized, hey, we we're, this, is, this is a business. We need to become a a 501c3, we need to mm -hmm. file for incorporation, we need to have bylaws, we need to um, make this official. And so we continued to move it forward and in turn outgrew another space and outgrew another space. And until today, um, we are in the building we've been in for seven years. It's at uh, 1853 Capitol Boulevard um, inside the Beltline, and it's in 32,000 square feet. And we fill absolutely every inch of that. Today, we have, well, we started as just two volunteers um, and were for years um, just volunteers. Today, we have nearly 25 employees, thousands of furniture donors like you in the community. We have in thousands of volunteers that have touched our project. And in turn, we've furnished over 3,000 households since we started. So the need is real and it's big and it's growing, unfortunately, in our community. But yay that we have a solution. And this is something that not many communities have. And research shows that, you know, a well-equipped, well-furnished home is going to help people overcome the crises that they've been through and be more sustainable. Mm. If they have a well-furnished, well-equipped home, it has health benefits to them to be able to have the tools to cook a meal and get a, get a good night's sleep. You know, there's benefits to the children to grow up in a home where they have a bed to sleep in and a lamp to light the room and to learn to eat at a table and chairs as opposed to eating on the floor. So it's really... Um, a gift to this community to be able to have the Green Chair Project. I love how you describe the way that you connected all of those different volunteer experiences that you had had to realize that there was this unique need and that there was also a unique solution that you could be a part of. Right. How quickly did that realization happen? I mean, I know you said that the whole staging like bit of, of the 
transition back into the workforce only lasted about two months. But I mean, you spent years doing this volunteer work with, you know, you mentioned working with incarcerated women, working with through the church with homeless families and refugee families, and even just working with friends with, with design. Did you think that those things would all come together like this? No, no, not at all. <laughs> but um, I, I could not have even made this up. So, um, but it is so true that when you're, you know, when, when you're where you're supposed to be, that all of those worlds, all of your experiences all come together. And uh, that's what, what makes it thrive. Um, this is a far bigger plan than I ever um, or my co-founder could have ever dreamed up on our own. So um, all we've done is say yes, taking that next step and taking that next step. And you don't always have to wait to see the finished plan, but just uh, take that next step. Um, and it's a risk. Um, but without risk, you don't have successes. And so it's been a great field trip in my life <laughs> to be able to go through this with the green chair. And it's helped me to see that um, one little step forward can just grow and multiply all beyond what, what we can do on our own. Mm. So what do you see as the next step for green chair? What's the next step for GreenShare? Well, right now we are in the middle of a capital campaign. And what that campaign is, is it is helping us buy the building that we're in. Um, mm. The owners of the building, um, this used to be the former Alfred Williams office supply company, for office furnishings company. This used to be their headquarters. And they um, were our landlords at first when they moved downtown. Um, and then they since um, have offered um, for us to buy the building at a charitable discount, which was an offer we just couldn't refuse. Mm -hmm. And so we're raising the money, um, $3 million, not only to buy the building, but then also to renovate the building. If we were going to own the building, our board decided, well, let's make it ours. Let's make it really work for us. Let's make it more efficient. Um, and let's, let's bring it up to date um, because there were um, several repairs that were needed on the building. So that's all part of this $3 million. So if you ride by Green Chair, you'll see um, it's real, it, it looks like a construction zone. Um, <laughs> we, are we are living in it while we're remodeling it. So we're mm -hmm. doing it in three phases. And so we're about um, to the end of the second phase now. And the whole building should be completed by the fall. But um, we have to replace everything from the, all of the electrical wiring to the, all of the HVAC units to a brand new roof. So it will be um, such a more energy efficient space, but also just a better use of every inch of that building. So the green chair will have a home for a long time to come and be able to grow and have plenty of room to thrive there. Mm, that's so exciting. Yeah, it, it, it is really exciting to see it. It is a real gift to the future of green chair. And, and in addition to having um, our warehouse and our furnishing showroom there within our building under one roof, we're also going to have um, a shop. And that shop will be open to the public. And what that um, will be is an opportunity for the community to come and shop. It may not be open every day. It may be open just sporadically. We're going to see how this works. But we receive um, probably 10% of our donations that aren't appropriate for the families that we serve. Um, maybe they're very large furniture pieces that don't fit in small homes or maybe mm -hmm. Um, they're antiques or vintage items. And the clients that we serve prefer things because they get to choose. They prefer things that look more modern and more up to date. But yet maybe others of us who have a well-equipped home already might like that one-of-a-kind, unique vintage piece. So, um, so the highest and best use for those items is for us to sell them. And uh, so much so that even stores like 
Bailey's in Cameron Village, for example, donates their extra Waterford crystal to us. Mm. Um, knowing that that's not going to go in a client's home, it is best used to sell and in turn to help us um, pay to run the project. So there's tons of unique items and one-of-a-kind things and original art um, that mm. will sell in that shop and all to benefit and run the Green Share Project. So you'll love to come and shop and it will be open for the first time since our remodeling the first weekend in May. And, uh, and mm. then we'll open the first weekend of the month um, for May, June, and July. Mm. And uh, so just to uh, kind of give the, the, the community a preview of, of what is to come and then we'll, we'll uh, be figuring out how to best, um, best market that and have that open in the future as well. But it is nice as a nonprofit to have some sustainable resource of income mm-hmm. on our own as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. As we wrap up, what is one thing that you would like the community to know about the work and that GreenShare is doing and the needs that it is fulfilling? I guess one thing that I, I'd like the community to know about why GreenShare even exists Um, is because the need is so great. And it is often a very overlooked need. So if our community knows that and understands that, then they're going to be more likely to understand why they need to donate their items to Green Share, right? So don't just sell that couch for 25 bucks on Craigslist. Bring it to the Green Share where it's going to change the family's life. And then I think also just to remember, you know, a lot of people don't even think about that kids don't have beds. And we take that for granted and it is such a basic human need, but yet it is such a privilege at the same time. And we're a very privileged community. And I think any time that our eyes can be open to a need like that helps make us all more compassionate and more understanding of what the needs are and what we each can do to help. So if somebody wanted, last question, if somebody sure. wants to make a donation to Green Chair, how do they do that? Sure. Um, if they'd like to make a donation to the Green Chair, they can go to our website at thegreenchair.org and click on, you know, to make a make a donation there. Um, a donation of $250 helps us put a child in a bed. That's probably the best investment they can make. It's a great gift to, get, to give someone, you know, oh, hey, I bought a bed in your honor um, for a birthday or for Christmas or a teacher gift. It, it'll change a kid's life. And um, so we need the financial donations and we also need the furnishing donations as well. And we always need volunteer help. So even if you work full time and you'd like to volunteer, tell your your office mates, maybe you could do a team building exercise together and come out and volunteer together. Many corporations also will, will you know, help, help encourage you to go out and volunteer as a team um, and give you paid days off. So come to the green chair and do that. And they can um, schedule that online with us as well through our Mm. website to reserve a date for a group to come and volunteer or a church group or a neighborhood group. Um, We even had um, someone recently who um, put on her own uh, 30th birthday party at the Green Share with having her (laughs) friends all come and volunteer and bring bring towels to donate uh, Mm. to us at the same time. So... Um, it, you know, it's a place where everybody can engage in the community. There's not one person that, that uh, doesn't have a place uh, to help out at the Green Chair. That's awesome. And Jackie, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and the Green Chair's story. Uh, I'm very excited for all the work that you all are doing and for your opportunities to grow. Well, thank you, Kat. Thank you for caring so much and being willing to tell the story. Absolutely. Thanks. That's it for this episode of the Longleaf Pod. 
If you know someone you think is adding value to their community, I'm always open to recommendations. You can find me on Twitter as at Kat Lawson. Thanks for listening.